Blog Talk Radio. It's Sunday evening, and welcome to Pause I Am Radio. Your hosts for tonight's show are Robert Brenning and Jack McEnroe. They'll be taking your calls and speaking with a different guest each week. You're encouraged to call in and share some of your life experiences with us. The number to call is 347-215-9442. That number again, 347-215-9442. Welcome to Pause I Am Radio. And welcome to Pause I Am Radio. I am your host, Robert Brining. I want to thank you all for tuning in um, for tonight's episode. Today is Sunday, September 11th. Um, before we start anything uh, today, I kind of want to touch on the obvious. Today um, is September 11th, and um, you know a lot of things have been on the TV today talking about the memorials and stuff, and um, it being the 10-year anniversary of the attacks. It is um, something that has basically touched, I think, the world, but especially the United States, the Americans, in a profound way. Um, and one of the topics on Pause AM we were talking about before was where were you when it happened and um, how, what was the feeling going through your veins? And I remember for me, I was working in a coffee shop in a mall and customers were coming in telling me that they were seeing it in the restaurant news um, on their TVs that, you know, the planes were going into the buildings, and it was hectic because they were, say, they were going after populated areas, and we were in the mall, and we were thinking that we needed to get out. I mean, it was frantic. So I just want to, you know, um, you know, say, you know, rest in peace, those that have we have lost due to this horrible attack, and um, I pray for the families that they're able to find closure in, you know, the memorials and able to help them move a little bit more, um, you know, past their, you know, their state. Um, Jack's supposed to be joining me. I have somebody on hold. I just want to see if this is him. Jack, is this you? Hello? Okay. Um, I guess that isn't Jack. Um, Jack was supposed to be joining me tonight, and I don't know. Maybe he got caught up with something, um, but we'll figure that out. If that is you, Jack, call me back, um, and I'll bring you back on. I wasn't sure if it was you. So, again, I'd like to touch on, you know, it being the 10th anniversary and, um, it's just a powerful thing, and you can. Everybody knows where they were. It's like one of those moments in the world where, where were you when it happened? Like it's kind of like where were you when you heard Michael Jackson died? Um, you know, people know it's one of those monumental things when when Elvis died, when JFK got shot. What one of those things that everybody's going to remember where they were and the emotions. And I just remember stopping and listening to the news because I would leave the restaurant I worked in and go over to the other one and watch the TV in there, and just people were just dumbfounded. It was. It was something that we thought never could happen. So um, it just—it was very touching to watch all the memorial services today, and and hearing the stories, and hearing all the kids grow up who don't have their parents, and it—it's—it's it, it's sad. And I just—I just pray that that never happens again. And um, yeah, and for that. Um, also today was my grandmother's birthday. Uh, she turned 86 today, and it was so great after her having surgery to see her and spend time with her family, especially. You know, with today being also September 11th, it kind of makes you want to bond with your family a little bit more, and it makes you remember, you know, that the important things in life and how truly precious life is and how we take it for granted every day. So for me to be around my family and have cousins in from Wilkes-Barre, and it was just really cool to, to have kind of that energy with me while I was, you know, going through September 11th. So um, seeing my grandparents together, they've been together for 55 years, and you know, that's the kind of love. They're like, they need their own reality show, to be honest with you, because they're that hilarious. They are just just the perfect perfect relationship. They love each other enough that they hate each other enough that they love each other. It's weird and it's great, but I, I just, it just, it was really great to spend today with them, and especially with my grandparents. You know, as they get older, um, you, you start to worry, and for them to still be around and still kicking in and, and, and telling jokes and laughing. It just it makes me feel great that, you know, it also makes me 
still closer to my father. You know, since my father hasn't been around for 10 years, going to see that side of the family really makes me think of my dad. So sometimes it's hard for me to go and to face that reality of it because my dad's not there. So I think of him a lot when I'm there because that's where he would be at his side. But being there, I know that, you know, I'm doing what he would want me to do. So, you know, it's great. So beyond that, um, I'm going to also try to see if this is Jack again. Hi, is this Jack? Who's this? Okay, I'm going to say it's not Jack. So something came up, Jack will not be joining me. So tonight I want to tell you, first, if you've never listened to the show before, thanks for tuning in. I'm sorry if I kind of went off on a tangent a little bit earlier um, talking uh, about certain things, but I want to give respect to those that have we lost in 9-11. Tonight uh, we will be speaking with an amazing man, Larry Estrada. Um, I'm excited to... Um, have him come on and share his story. It's a, a story that we never kind of heard before. It's a different angle. Um, so uh, I've always wondered, you know, in different cultures, how they face HIV. And for Larry's Native American, so we'll be able to see what it is like in that culture and how, um, you know, it is handled. Is it talked about? And, and is it open? Is it stigmatized? You know, how is it different? And I, I just like to, you know, see what that's like because it's different for every culture. And, you know, this is a, cult, a different culture we haven't had on, and, and Larry's great. He blogs. Um, he has an awesome blog that I'll, I'll be putting up in the chat room in a bit once I get a free hand, um, and, and he, he shares his story. So I think that's important, and anybody who shares their story is, is doing something to help others, and I think that's great, and that's why people like Larry blog and why I blog. But um, if you're listening for the first time and – you're not sure exactly how you found this podcast. Uh, this is the Positive Radio Show. We're here every Sunday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. And what we do is we offer a safe space to ask questions and share stories about living with HIV and AIDS. And um, we're not judgmental, and, and we share openly and honestly about it, and, and we're frank. And sometimes we laugh, sometimes we cry, sometimes other people cry. And, and it's, it's about just making everybody feel normal and letting them know they're not alone. So if you have a story and you would like to share it on Positive Radio, you can uh, go to posiam.com, that's P-O-Z-I-A-M.com, and uh, go to the contact page and, and contact me, and I will uh, you know, try to schedule you up. We have a couple shows coming up. Um, one thing I did want to talk about as I'm waiting for um, our guest to call in is there's an event coming up. As you all know, I'm a board member of the ADAPT Advocacy Association, and what ADAPT is is um, AIDS Drug Assistance Program, and some funds in some states are not – fund enough to um, provide medications for people living with HIV who can't afford it. Um, I myself am, at, and, am on ADAPT. God, ADAPT really makes uh, sentences hard to say. I myself am on ADAPT, and if it wasn't for ADAPT, I wouldn't be on my medication, and I would probably be a lot worse than I am today. So ADAPT is saving my life, and what the ADAPT Advocacy Association does is pushes awareness to you know, helping the almost 10,000 Americans that are in 11 states that are on ADAPT waiting list, and it's ridiculous. People should not be on a waiting list to get medications if they need the medication to survive. So what the ADAPT Advocacy Association is doing is they're asking you to mark your calendar, um, especially if you're a tweeter. If you're a tweeter on September 15th, what we want you to do is we want you to tweet things, you know, that you feel about the ADAPT waiting list, whether you feel that, you know, just tweet that. Maybe you just need to tweet the statistics that, there are exactly 9,298 individuals in 11 states on ADAPT waiting list. And all we ask you to do is that in your tweets that you include uh, the handle at White House, which would let, mention the White House, and the hashtag ObamaADAPT. So it's Obama A-D-A-P. And we just ask you to tweet. You know, you, we ask you to tweet every hour. <laughs> starting at 7 a.m. in the morning, but I know it's not possible for everybody. Not everybody tweets that crazy. So if you can just tweet once or twice, that's great. But when you tweet, we want you to use those hashtags so we can try to get it to trend and really bring attention to the White House and President Obama that ADAP needs to be funded and really needs to be looked at. There's people who need these medications, and it's important that they get that. So I just wanted to make sure that everybody is aware that there are actually people in America who cannot afford medications and are going – to and could possibly be put in, in life-threatening situations if ADAPT isn't funded. And 
I think it's very important that as Americans we stand up because it doesn't matter what the disease is, there shouldn't be somebody who isn't able to afford it and can't get it some other way. There has to be a way. I'm sorry. People should not be able to exist without their medication. So I'm enough on that tangent. So that's one thing you want to uh, mark your calendars for. And then next Sunday, before I bring our guests on, next Sunday um, I have a special guest on. It's Jeff Berry. He is the editor of Positively Aware magazine. He's an AIDS advocate, and he's been HIV positive for 20 years. And he's also a member of the AIDS Treatment Activist Coalition and Fair Pricing Coalition. And his project that he's been working on, I believe this is the second year. Um, you may have heard of it. It started last year. It's September 21st is the day you're going to mark on your calendar. And it's called A Day with HIV in America. And what they ask you to do is to take pictures of yourself during September 21st and to upload them. And you can do it with your friends. You can be by yourself. You could be playing. You could be at work. You could be, last year, I submitted a photo of myself holding uh, like a 45-pound pumpkin that me and Joe grew, and I captioned it, HIV is a huge issue. And it was just me holding this huge pumpkin that was in our garden, and it made it into the magazine. So they want kind of every day maybe some creative different things of what you're doing on September 21st as a person with HIV. You know, so I think it's a really cool project. We'll talk more about it next week when Jeff is on, but it's definitely, definitely something you want to check out on Facebook and Twitter. And, again, it's a day with HIV in America, and it is September 21st. Um, I want you to help me welcome our guest this evening, which is Larry Estrada. Um, Larry, welcome to the show. <coughs> Hello. Thank hey, you for having me. Man. I'm doing pretty good. How are you? I am excellent. I am excellent. Thanks for, for joining us and sitting in, well, joining me <laughs> and sitting in with me this evening to share your story. Well, <clears throat> um, let's see. When I was about uh, 18, I started uh, d dating this uh, gentleman who was 10 years older than me. And um, he didn't tell me right away that he was HIV positive. In fact, it took me finding his medications before I found out he was HIV positive. And I contracted the virus from him. Um, I was diagnosed originally in August of 98. Can you do me a favor, Larry? Just lower your speakers for me in a second. What's that? Your speakers in the background for your, your for the computer? Um. My speakers aren't on. Oh, I thought I heard a little bit of an echo. Okay, maybe it was just me. But anyway, so, so yeah, So let, let, before we, we get into the, having you just tell, I just want to start off. When were you diagnosed? What was um, the year? So um, August can, of 98. August of 98, and how old were you? Um, it was four months before my 21st birthday. Okay. So you were almost 21. Now, were you educated um, about HIV beforehand? Like where? Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, I I was educated. That was the the crazy thing is I was educated. I I had uh, been to many different functions on HIV. I had been working with the Aris Project in San Jose. Uh, I used to take food. Me and my mother used to take food to HIV clients in San Jose um, for years. And so I was educated. I I did know to protect myself, but. Um, this guy told me he wasn't positive, and I believed him, and so um, we we didn't use protection. And right, um, how, how do you say live and learn? Yeah, well, hey, that's that's the only thing you can do is live and learn, really. Right. If you don't learn from it and grow from it, then you're not doing something right. <laughs> you're gonna keep experiencing. Right. You know. You always do what you always did, you always get what you always got. <laughs> exactly. And um, coming from so, the so upbringing, when, I, what's that? No, I just want to say, so I, you're up, tell me a little bit about your upbringing. Go ahead. Um, coming from the upbringing that I came from, um, my parents were, uh, my dad was, was Hispanic and, uh, and Native American, and my mother was um, uh, white and Native American. And so coming from the upbringing I came from, you know, coming out wasn't a big deal. Um, my mother was educated about um, HIV and everything. And the the hardest thing was telling them that I was positive because I had been educated. Um, and coming from the upbringing that I came from, you know, you just thought it was, how do you say, 
it was somebody else's, you know. It wouldn't happen, happen to, you. to you. Yes, because I was educated, and my, my parents made an effort to make sure that I wasn't, um, that I wasn't, you know, undereducated. They made sure that I was educated on uh, how to protect myself and and how to be safe, but I just, I trusted the wrong person. Right. So, so tell me, when, when you were diagnosed, what was, what, what, like, you went to, you just went to the doctors? Was it something that you automatically thought you, that you, you know, because you said you found his medicine, right? I found his medication, and I knew what they were. Um, and, um, oh, God, I can't even remember what medications they were, but, I mean, it just triggered a thought in my mind. I was like, these are HIV meds. I, I mean, they're either HIV meds or they're cancer meds. I mean, you, there's no distinct, back then there was no distinguishing of the two. Right. And uh, Did you immediately confront him, or did you? I didn't confront him until I made, because I was working for the county at the time, and I went and I called I called my doctor at work, and I said, you know, I need to come in, and I, I need to have some tests run immediately. And so on my lunch break, I went in, and uh, they ran all the tests. Uh, two weeks later, the doctor calls me and says, you need to come in. We have to talk. And so I went in, and I was ready. You know, I was prepared for the, you know, the absolute worst. And she said, um, she said, you know, Larry, um, we've run every possible test, and we did find that there were copies of the virus in your system. There, there are very few in your system, but I mean, it, it wasn't coming up on the regular Western blot. We actually had to run a CD4 count to find it. But since you had made mention of the concern because of the medications, we did run that test. And, yes, you are HIV positive. We ran it three times. Now, do you remember and what was going through your head? Like, what was what was your, like, first, like, re, like thought? Because you kind of first, come at, you, came, you, you came at it from a different way because you found the medication, you know what I mean, beforehand. So you kind of thought that there was a possibility where some people may just go and get a test and not think there's a possibility because they didn't think they did anything risky. Right. And I I just immediately said, you know, then I have to do something. That was the first thing that came to my mind. And so um, I went home that night intending to leave him. And long argument ensued, and he basically said, well, I mean, who's going to want you now? You're you're infected. And the only thing going through my mind is, you know what, just stick it out and see if maybe he changes and we can work through this. But my concern was going out and telling people you just cannot trust anybody. You have to protect yourself. So the following week after our big blowout, I went to um, the Billy DeFrank Center in San Jose on the Alameda, and I went and I spoke to a few people, and I said, what can I do? I'm HIV positive. I just found out. And um, I've been with this guy for three, three and a half years, and it was him who gave it to me, and I don't want people to go through what I'm going through. And they put me into the youth program where I sat and talked with um, high schoolers and college students that were um, LGBT, questioning, uh, queer, and intersex. And I just told them my story. And I said, you have to protect yourself. It's your body. And I've been pretty much talking to small groups ever since. Um, about about a year ago, my sister, who is um, also HIV positive, um, said, you know, have you ever thought of writing a blog? And that's when I started blogging. Which actually, I just put in, the name of your blog is um, Living Native with HIV? Living Native with HIV. Right, I just put the link in there so people can um, go ahead and check it out in the chat room. It's livingnativewithhiv.blogspot.com is the name of yeah. Larry's blog. So how long, how long were you um, diagnosed before you started blogging? 
for that moment? Um, <laughs> I've been diagnosed since 98, and so it's, oh, last year, when, or the year before I started, I, I had, I had initially, um, started to set up my blog so that I would have a blogger, but I didn't actually start blogging until, I want to say January of this year, so it was um, 13 years from diagnosis before I actually started blogging. Um, I never, I never thought about it as a way to reach larger communities. Right. And um, it was, like I said, my sister who said, have you ever thought of blogging? Because, you know, she, we've gone to, because I've gone and gotten my, um, my, my CEUs to go um, educate on the different reservations. I've gone and spoke to um, people on reservations telling them that it's not just a white disease. It's not just a, an Asian disease. It is a human disease and it affects everybody. How is that in the native culture? Like how is HIV viewed? Like is it like something that's accepted? <laughs> um, in the native culture, um, there's a lot of um, a lot of native people are very leery of of uh, the white community. You know, there's been 500 years of uh, of basic oppression and a um, hundred and hundred and some odd years of us being on reservations. And um, on top of that, you know, the boarding schools, we just don't really trust white people very much after the historical abuse. Right. So there's a lot of stigma about it. Anything that a white doctor comes in and tells you, you know, it can't be real. We have medicine, man. We go to them, you know, and we only listen to our own. I mean, so that's why it was very important for me to take those CEU classes um, Created by Dr. Danae McIntosh and um, Tom and Tommy Chesbro, um, who are both uh, Native HIV educators, and um, John Coquet, who is also a Native HIV educator. These are these are like my inspirations. Um, uh, they they created these programs and uh, geared to speaking to other Natives about HIV, and it's um, Native to Native peer-to-peer education is basically what it is. Because it's hard for us to hear it from anybody that's non-native. Right. Well, I mean, I, yeah, I, I mean, I can understand because it's, you know, it's a, like you said, it's the way that, it's the history of what, you know, it's been, what's been experienced. And that's what you kind of have to, I guess, go by. You know, everybody goes that, but I don't know. I guess, you know, that's kind of the way that it's done, you know, in that way, then what are we going to do about it? You can't change it. All we can right. do is help to have people like you who continue to, to share, you know, their story and to get it out there because, you know, if not too many people do it. And like you were saying earlier, um, you mentioned your sister also being um, HIV positive, and I know that she blogs over at The Body with me. And, right. Um, can you kind of explain how that came about, how you, you know, how does that work? Well, my sister and I, um, she's not my biological sister. And in the Native community, when you take someone as family, you, you go through an adoption ceremony, you adopt each other, and um, you treat each other just as you would blood. And she is my older sister. To me, um, for all intents and purposes, her children are my nephews and niece, nieces, and she is my sister. And we love each other as family would, and we're there for each other. Um, and she was diagnosed in, in the early 90s, and um, and she started blogging for the body. And, she, you know, she said, you know, Larry, you, you do all, all the same things I do. And, you know, we met at this, um, it's called a two-spirit gathering. Um, because, oh, what? like I said, two-spirit gatherings, um, well, Native Americans have a... Native Americans have a, an entirely different view about homosexuality. Yeah, how do you um, do my that? Si my sister is is straight herself, but she has um, a two spirit son. And um, 
I myself am two spirit or, or I'm gay. <clears throat> okay, but, so that's what. The, so, so is that, wait a minute. So, so the, the native culture community calls people that are gay two spirited. Two spirited. I don't know. Explain that to me. How does why why do they call them that? Um, because what we does embody. It mean? Like, is there a translation? It's like we embody both spirit of man and woman. We are. We are special gifts from the Creator. In my language, actually, we are called agakwe, um, which means transcended. You know, so okay, um, it's clicking now. It's making sense. And so um, we we don't throw people away for being who they are, because everybody has their gifts. And so, right. like I, like I, you know. When I initially was diagnosed, I felt, okay, well, there's a reason. So the creator gave me this virus so that I can get up and speak out. You know, I never looked at it like it was the end of end of me. It was like the end of my life or anything like that. It was just a new beginning. Right. And so... Well, that's a good way to look at it. And that is thanks to my grandfather and the way I was brought up. And I am eternally grateful for that. Yeah, that, and, that uh, kind of, you know, that relationship and that wisdom. You know, I was kind of talking about earlier today how I was at my grandmother's 86th birthday party and just seeing my grandparents interact and, and just hang, talking with them and, and getting their wisdom. You know what I mean? It's just something that is that moment with them, this is something that is, like, so priceless. And in, in the Native culture, we, we honor our elders because that's the, those are the ones that continue our traditions, our language, our teachings, our drum songs, our, our ceremonies. And so our elders are very, very important to us. And so... Like my grandmother, when I told her, I said, "I said, Mima, I'm sick. I have, I have the virus, and um, you know, I don't know how you're going to feel about this." And she just put her hand on on my leg and said, "You know, he wouldn't give you anything that you can't handle, and he wouldn't give you anything that you can't turn around to use as a gift." That's true. Yeah, I think you guys are on something. <laughs> it's true, you know? Like, a lot of the things that you're talking about, like, it's like, that's how everybody should be. Like, it should be, like, that's how it should be. Like, we should be very, you know, open to people that are different. And, and I think that you call them, was it two-spirited or dual-spirited? I think that's, you know what I mean? Like, it makes a lot of sense. And, and I'm just, for me, I'm learning. So I, I, I'm fascinated with the things that you're telling me. Because I'm not really, well, you know, I'm not educated in, in, you know, many different cultures. Well, we're all on a journey, and we are all always learning. We never stop. Um, from 1 to 81, you know, we are always learning. Um and so we just have to take those gifts for what they are. And that's why telling my story, going out and saying the things I say, and telling people, the, 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 young, the, the youth, the native youth especially, that this is what's going on and this is what can happen to you um, is so important because keeping our youth strong and healthy is very important to us. Um, there are future generations, just like the fading of our languages. You know, it's very important to, to teach them, to protect themselves, to teach them our languages, to teach them our traditions and our ways. You know, these are, these are the things that we do in life. And it is um, very important to us. And that is why I get up every day and I blog. That is why I get up and I go to the different gatherings and speak. Um, and tell my story to the to the youth and to um, people at risk. And how do they respond to it? Well, 
just like everybody, they all have questions. Um, like, did, did how did you get it? Was it anything like really bizarre? Um, the I've never, spoke, the, I've never spoke in front of kids, so or or you know the youth. I've always you know spoken in front of colleagues or other people that were living with HIV, so it's a little bit different for me. I don't the know what that experience is. The most bizarre question I ever had was on a reservation up north. Um, um, a girl asked if she could get it by helicoptering. Now, I didn't know what helicoptering was, so I had to be educated. Oh, my God. For those who don't know, you can Google it. (laughs) And and she explained what helicoptering was, and I said, well, if you're not using a condom, then yes. Yes, you can get it that way. Uh, it's um, funny. You know, um, somebody was sitting here, uh, Stephen, in the chat room, when we were talking about being uh, two-spirited, they were saying that it's about the spirituality of it, not the sexuality of it. Exactly. It so isn't about, about, it's not about who you sleep with or who you are with. It's about um, accepting your spirituality, your, your oneness with the creator, because you do embody both the spirit of the man and the woman. You, you, you embody, in my language, we embody the spirit, uh, we, we embody gishik ikwe, gishik nimin. And so we are both women and, and men at the same time. That's why um, in, in centuries past, um, the Agakwe were marriage counselors, um, child rearers, um, teachers. Um, mediators between warring tribes. You know, you had a two-spirit in that role. It wasn't about um, who you were or who you slept with, but the role you played in your tribe and what you did for your people. And that's why coming back to the Native community and speaking to the Native youth and the Native elders, um, it was very important to me. Because still, t- over 26% of new infection rates um, are rural reservation infections. Um, grandmothers, um, grandfathers, they're, they're contracting this virus. Um, because a lot of the younger party kids are contracting the virus through um, injection drug use. And they go home because they can no longer afford to live in urban society. And they move home to the reservations. And, well, what do elders tend to have? Because diabetes is rampant in our community, they have needles in abundance. But they don't, um, they don't throw the needles away. They put them back because they cost so much to get mm-hmm. that... The, the the youth will come home, use grandma's needle as a rig, and then put gram, put grandma's needle back so she can take her insulin. Uh, in uh, return, infecting that, the the elder. And in turn, infecting the elders, not knowing that they themselves are infected. We have um, programs on the reservations, get tested, get tested now. Um, uh, we go to... The, the native colleges, and we speak to the native youth there, and we hold um, we hold free testing at the different colleges. Um, you know, all the groups that I've worked with do this. Um, so, I mean, and I have been involved in Kansas since '03. Because that's when um, when I got um, I moved to Kansas uh, in 2001-2002, and um, I got involved in the communities here. I had to. I, it took me time to find them, and it was shortly before my father passed away that I um, that I in turn found the groups that I needed to be involved with to you know, get my Kansas certifications and whatnot in order to um, 
to go out and speak and and teach and educate and test. Wow. Um, real quick, I just want to open up the phone lines. Um, for anyone out there listening, if you'd like to call in, if you have a comment or a question uh, for Larry, you can reach us here at 347-215-9442. Um, don't be shy. Give us a call. Press the one button so you can um, talk to us here on the show live. Um, one of the things I did want to ask you is, um, I know, you know, the the Native culture has, you know, different things for, um, you know, for, for medication-wise, there's, they have different beliefs and different things that they do. How is it with the HIV medications? Are you on HIV meds or are you not on meds? Yes. Um, I, I'm actually, I, I don't just have HIV. I, I also have a, a myriad of other health issues as well. But um, we have... Um, uh, IHS, which is Indian Health Services, which for the most part cover everything on a fighting scale based on your earned income. You can get a lot of your medications for free, except for the HIV medications they are not covered under any of the IHS formularies. Um, so those we do have to um, go through ADAP for. Mm-hmm. And, so how is that um, in your state? What's that? How is ADAP in ADAP your in my state? Is there a waiting list well, in your state? As far as I know, not yet. Um, I actually just went to a meeting with my do- with my my doctor and their colleagues about the um the ADAP program here. In fact, my doctor writes the ADAP formulary, the Ryan White Title Title Two and Title Three formularies, um, for our state. Oh, wow. Um, and I spoke where, to her where about are you it. Again? I said, what state are you in again? I'm, I live in Wichita, Kansas. Kansas. No, you do not have a list. And we currently do not have a list. And she said, well, um, she did, we, we did all those speak about it. And um, if all these budget cuts keep continuing, we're on that road too. That's why it's very important that we get, um, we get the fundraising and we get the um we get the proper help that we we need from the the corporate sponsors um in our local areas to keep our funding going cuz my doctor actually um does a lot of the uh fundraising herself for um the excess cost medications that aren't under the ADAP formulary hmm. I have a question coming out of the chat room from Stephen. He asks, um, which nation do you identify with? I am at, I am Anishinaabe. There you go. And, and you know what I want you to also do? I want you to teach people. What's the word you taught me? Is it boo-hoos? Boo-hoo? Boo-hoo. Boo-hoo. And what's that mean? It means greetings. It's a formal way to greet a person. The informal way would be to say Anin. Ah. Uh, now you learn something. Besides hearing his wonderful story, you also learn how to say greetings. Right? Yeah. Boujou. Boujou? Almost like Bouzou. you're saying bonjour, but yeah. you're just saying boujou. Yeah, it is interesting. <laughs> so, so, um, we kind of got into your sister a little bit, but I kind of want you to tell us how you met. Um, Can you tell us that? Yes. Um, actually, I met her son first, Jamie, at the Internationals in Colorado. And we, you know, we talked a little bit. And then um, uh, I was online on Facebook, and I added her through him after adding him. And we got to talking, and, we, you know, we were talking about weddings and all kinds of stuff because I was in um, I was in a relationship at the time, and I thought I was in love and, or whatnot. And we were talking about all kinds of things. And we were like, okay, well, we're going to the gathering in April. And it was like every day we were on the Internet talking to each other, and we just couldn't wait. Like we had an instant bond. And when we finally saw each other at the at the gathering – we just gave each other this huge hug. 
And it was like, finally, I, 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 I've got a person to this. You know, we had pictures of each other, but it wasn't the same. Mm-hmm. And we embraced, and we started calling each other brother and sister right then and there. And um, we, we met at that gathering, and that would be uh, 2010, April of, of, of 2010. And I had met her in '09 online after meeting her son at the International in Colorado in '09. And it was just a very, very spiritual meeting. It's like we we knew each other. We were we were connected. Yeah, I understand that. And totally um, get that. And that you were supposed to cross paths for a reason. Like it was right. destiny that you were supposed to meet. Right. And it was um it was very it was very special to me because the gatherings uh, and the powwows and the dances and all these different ceremonies I go to, they're what keep me going. Um, without my spirituality I wouldn't be who I am today. So it is um, when I actually got to meet her and we got to spend time together. It's just you know, it was great. And it's like um, she's currently <laughs> enrolled in school again, and so like we don't get a whole lot of time to talk. But when we when we call each other on the phone, we just spark right back up like it's you know like a brother and sister do, you know, back into the last conversation we had, and it it's just amazing. Wow. So. No, that's awesome because, you know, sometimes, you know, I, I was reading this book um, by um, uh, James Van Prague, and it talked about soulmates and how, you know, we can have soulmates, but they don't necessarily have to be like a sexual soulmate or, you know, a, a relationship soulmate. You know, like supposedly like our parents are somewhat of our soulmates and, and like our family, like, you know what I mean? Like it's different things than I firmly believe that somebody can be your soulmate and not necessarily be that person that you're in love with or in a relationship with. You know, there's just that special bond that brought you together. Right. And I understand what you're saying. Like I said, like you said, yeah, I can understand that. But um, I, I I think it's just an Indian thing, you know, where we're taught we can never be without elders. Like, um, when my parents died, I needed to to mourn for a year and then adopt a new parent to replace the other one because I need an elder to go to. And you have to be, you, you have to find someone you connect spiritually with on that level. Someone who, right. who's generally of your own tribe or your own nation. Um, someone who knows your traditions, your ways, because not all of our ways are the same. Um... And, you know, we, you know, we generally have to find someone and, and, and we take our time so that we know that this person is right. And we pray on it. We do a lot of praying. <laughs> and no, so, but I think that's great that there's, there's a spirit, you can, obviously there's, there's a spiritual connection within the community. And I think that's really what makes you like a community. You know what I mean? That really makes you all tight and, and so, like, I don't know how to, how to, but so, like, proud of who you are, where you're from, where there's so many, I don't know if you want to say white folks, but that, like, are so divided in so many different ways that, I don't know, I think it's, it's, it's a great thing to, to hear that, like, that right away you find someone else that you can bond with and have this relationship because when my father passed, there was no one for me to run to. Right. You know what I mean? To be that fatherly figure for me when I was growing up, so... It was it was it was tough because I was around the same age as you when your father passed, so it was tough. Um, yeah, and it is tough to lose a parent. It always is, um, mm-hmm. and it doesn't get easier. <laughs> you know, when you lose, you know, when the next one goes, it still hurts just as much, and and that's that, and 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 that's the same feeling when when my. Uh, three years after my my biological father died, my adopted dad, who happened to be one of my dad's best friends, um, 
he he was he, he took me in and 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 was was my adopted dad and 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 um he passed away and that was really rough you know mm-hmm. and it, it doesn't get easier and it doesn't matter if with with me it never mattered that he wasn't my blood father because he was there for me mhm i mean and so yeah, blood, you know like i like one like you said kind of like how you we we were talking about your sister. Like blood doesn't really make you family. You know, no. family are the people that are there for you that hold you up. You know, that'll wipe away your tears and you know will love you when you're at your worst. Exactly, and that's what my family is. I mean, um, my sister, <laughs> my sister is 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 an amazing amazing woman and is always there when I need her. Um, she might disagree. <laughs> You know, she she sometimes says she she feels bad that she just hasn't made enough time for me, and and you know I know she's busy, but when I truly need her, she'll call me out of the blue, not knowing, but just call me, right. and she she doesn't even know how much it helps. Yeah, it's like that sister, that intuition, you know, sisterly intuition. Most definitely. Huh. You know, you don't have to. What you say? You don't have to grow up with them for them to be family. Exactly. Exactly. So we are winding down to uh, the last fifteen minutes. If you guys want to give us a call here, uh, you can reach us at three four seven two one five nine four four two, and press the number one, and we'll bring you on the air. You can ask Larry um, a question or have a comment. If you know Larry personally, you can call in and share a funny story about Larry. That's always fun. <laughs> Um, Larry, one of the things, you know, since we were talking about today being, you know, the anniversary of 9-11, do you remember where you were when it happened? Um, actually, I was, I had, uh, I was coming out of the shower when the phone rang. I was living in California and I was working for, for a, uh, a government department, a local government department. And, um, my boss called me and said, uh, you can't come into work today, turn on the news. And I said, what station? And she said, it doesn't matter, just turn it on. And so I came out in my towel and turned on to, um, I think it was Channel 7, which was our ABC News in the morning, because um, it was about 6 o'clock our time. And um, that was when the second plane hit the second tower. And... Um, my in-laws at the time were living with me, or, well, my partner's parents were living with me, with us at the time, and um, she said, oh, my God, that's the Twin Towers, and I said, yeah, I, and I was on the phone with my boss, I said, are you watching this, and she said, yes, and working for a government agency, um, we were in that uh, three-week block of people that couldn't go to work for three weeks during the whole, you know, no-fly uh, right. time, no, no no government agency went to work. So, that's where I was. I was at home getting ready for work at the time. And it was like kind of your, your mouth dropped and you're like, what? Yeah. Like, you couldn't believe it, you know what I mean? Especially if you were, if you were watching it after the first um, plane hit. And you literally saw it live, the second plane hit. It was just... Yeah, when you uh, saw it live, the second plane hit, it was just like, what is going on? And that's when um, the news announcer came on and said, this is a suspected terrorist attack. And... uh, I mean, it was too coincidental. Who, who, Who else would go in and, you know... Right. It was freaky. Yeah, exactly. I have a, a question here from actually two questions. One, we kind of touched on earlier about being um, two spirited, but let me just find the question real quick. Uh, Kevin Maloney um, from Rise Up to HIV or at Rise Up to HIV on Twitter asks says he wasn't able to tune in, um, but he wanted to ask you about uh, being gay and two spirited. Is it considered holy amongst the natives? Um. Traditionally, it's not necessarily holy, 
Um, but we are honored more so, and we're held to a higher accord, if you know what I mean. Like, we're looked, like, instead of being looked down on, we're looked way up to, and um, we have higher expectations. Right. That makes sense. I have a question coming out of the pause. I am chat room from Doug, and he asks, um, what do you feel, how does Larry feel about the tribal response has been to providing adequate care to natives who are HIV positive? Adequate prayer? Care. Care. Um, if you know anything about the, uh, the BIA or Bureau of Indian Affairs and the IHS services provided, you know that it is actually government funded. Um, each tribe is given a certain amount, or each nation is given a certain amount of, um, of funding um, based on whether they have things like casinos um, and stuff like that. And then they have to in turn turn around and um, budget their own, um, make their own budget from what the government gives them and what they bring in. And um, when it comes to care, it really is a, it really still is a very, very government issue. It's, there's a lot of politics on both sides, on both the um, United States government and the sovereign nation that that tribe is, their tribal or band um, is allotted. Um, so when it comes to care, I've never had issues um, when it, in regards to IHS services. Um, but I don't use IHS services for my HIV. <laughs> right. Like, IHS is not the same as a hospital. Um, our clinics aren't bound by the same types of confidentiality. And so most people who are at risk wouldn't go to an IHS clinic to get diagnosed or to get tested um, because, you know, so-and-so's auntie is there, and she'll talk to my mom. Right. Well, Larry, are you on um, ADAP? Yes, I am on ADAP. Okay. And how is your health now? <clears throat> um, um, my HIV is actually pretty well. Um, it's not as good as it was. Um, my numbers went up, but I've been under a lot of stress recently due to my living situation and stress does cause a factor in your numbers and it always it always does and always will. And the fact that I haven't been able to get to ceremony as often as I'd like to, which I believe that it's a combination of your medication, your spirituality, and your support network mm -hmm. that will keep you and your numbers where they should be. I agree. I agree. Another question coming from the chat. Um, uh, Stephen says that you revealed a lot of heavy experiences, but he would like to know, um, can you share a little bit about how some of the humor amongst the Native people? Um, yeah. My uncle is a perfect example of humor in Natives. Um, my uncle is a very, very holy man, but would tell you Otherwise, um, he does not consider himself a medicine man or a holy man. He considers himself a common man. But he will tell you that laughter will always help. And every time I'm around him, every time I go to sweat lodge that he pours or go to prayer or, or, or chanupa ceremony, um, after everything's said and done, he will always crack a good joke or two. And he believes, and I believe, that laughter is very good medicine. It's very healing. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, one of the things, I know we talked about this on the phone, and I don't remember if it was something that you said you were familiar with or not, but um, I remember I told you before my uh, partner was involved and did some sort of um, soul retrieval work with shamans. Do you remember right. me talking to you about this? Do you remember anything? Are you familiar with any of that? Um, <laughs> shamans are from 
India. I, that's where the term comes from. Is um, is from the Hindustani. Uh, right. We don't use that term. We use medicine person. Um, okay. But um, we do have ceremonies like that. Okay. Um, but shaman isn't the correct or the appropriate term for us. <laughs> so I should say medicine person. Right. Medicine man, medicine woman, depending on whether whether it's a man or a woman, and if they're of native of native descent. Um, I'm not going to say no self-respecting native would call themselves a shaman. Um, um, I will say that we just don't use that term. I mean, no, no, at least I nobody, nobody I know does. And I know. Um, I think I, have a, I think just real quick. I think I have a caller here, so I just want to see if this person uh, wants to come on air. Uh, caller five zero four, you're on the air. What's your name? Where are you calling from? Hi, my name is Pooh. Um, I'm trying to educate myself and understand um, HIV. How do you explain to a person that's um, mentally retarded um, that they have to protect themselves? And I have a sister. We just got a call from the health department that her um, husband was diagnosed with HIV. I also found out an ex-boyfriend of her. First, um, is HIV positive, and I don't know how to help her. You know, I've been on the website now for like three weeks, and I'm scared. I am fighting under the disease. I am uh, overwhelmed, um, and I'm just trying to understand, and I'm tired of being I am so afraid of this. And your name is T? No, Pooh. Okay. Um, Do you pray, number one? And it doesn't Um, matter who you pray to. No, I don't pray because of, in the black community, um, black churches, um, they don't allow you to protect yourself, they want you to multiply. I have an auntie, well, she's my grandmother and my auntie, um, is a victim of the church, um, going back to her husband, and she could drag the disease. So I don't have no faith at all in the church. Um, Actually, I resent the church because my mom had us in church all the time. My mom, they had a guy that was a molester of children in the church. We was praying for him to get out of jail because the mother of the church, that was her son. So I really don't have a faith in the church at all. I allow my children to go because of the ignorance in the church. We don't talk about it. Right. Well, well, the reason I ask is if if you, sometimes if you pray on it, the the right words come to you. Um, How I would handle the situation is I would sit down with with, um, my friend who was, mentally disabled or handicapped, your sister, I, I would sit down with her and I would say that there is something that I that I really need to talk to her about and that it's very important that she listen. Okay, I and told her. My family didn't want me to tell her. I told her about her husband. They scared that she's going to go back to him because she was in, she is so in love with him. He was a molester, by the way, okay? My family hate him. And she went back to him when he she found out that he molested some kids, even kids in my family. So she's totally in love. He's in the hospital right now. Actually, he's in the hospital now too far from my house. And she wants real to go see him. I don't want to cut you off, but we are down to like the last 30 seconds. Okay. Um, I didn't get your first name caller. If you actually email me, I will be more than happy to respond to you or, you know what I mean, and, and talk to you about this so I can help you out with the situation. And I'm sure Larry will do the same. It's just that the show's about to end, and I don't want to have to cut out the conversation. So I want okay. to continue it more. If you email me, I'll be more than happy to help you with exactly how I you need your I won't be able to email you because I have dyspraxia. Um, I can't express myself. I express myself more by speaking. I'm on YouTube. I have 11,000 subscribers, so I'm going to have to call back actually – if you call back, we are actually running out of time. I apologize. Thank you all for tuning in tonight. 
Larry, thanks for um, hanging out with me for the hour and sharing your story. Oh, absolutely. Uh, I had a a very good time. You too. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Have a great evening, and we'll talk to you soon. I contracted a preventable disease from a guy that looks good and smells good but never mentioned that he had HIV. But he is not to blame. I should have loved myself enough to protect myself. But through it all, I found self-love and it's the greatest thing I ever felt. I was never less than or equal to AIDS but always greater. I just realized that not caring for myself or my body, I was my biggest hater. I am author of the Naked Truth, Marvin Brown, and I am greater than AIDS. Thank you all for tuning in to this session of Pause I Am Radio. We hope you join us next Sunday at 9 p.m. when we bring you uh, uh, back after this. Now, thank you. <laughs>